0: Uh, I really uh, look forward to being back in the saddle, being with you again. Uh, If you've been around, you know that uh, over two months ago, I was diagnosed with prostate cancer. And uh, five weeks ago tomorrow, I had uh, surgery, uh, and it went well. In fact, um, very well. The doctors called my recovery remarkable, which I love it when I hear that from the doc. I had my second post-op surgery surgery. visit this last Wednesday, and they took my blood to see if all the cancer was gone, and the result came in at 0.01, which is really good. That means they got all the stuff that they needed to give, so yeah. I am very pleased. God is good. But being down and facing cancer, I'm going to tell you, it's changed me. There are some things that I knew here that are a little deeper in my life and my soul now than they've been before. And when you face something like this, and some of you have, or you have friend, family or friends that have, you know what I'm talking about. This whole experience has changed me, and it's changed me in a good way. And so I'm starting a new series today called If I Should Die Before I Wake. Let me quickly say, it's not, the series is not about death. It's about life. It's about what God wants from us. But dealing with the reality that life is short, life is precious. And that's what I've been more aware of than I've ever been before in my life. Job said this in Job 8:9: our days on earth are but a shadow. They're just a whisper. Our days on earth are but a shadow. And Moses wrote in Psalm 90, verse 12, teach us to realize the brevity of life. Old King James says, teach us to number our days. But what Moses is saying is life is short. Life is precious. And both Job and Moses understood something deeply that we need to understand. Everything we have from God is a gift from him. Every moment we have. You know, most of my adult life, I have lived keenly aware of how short life can be. Uh, There's only one... uh, Boobna male that's lived beyond his 60s in the last three generations of my family. I've watched my grandparents die younger than most. I've seen friends die, uh, too young. Parishioners in our church, Tom, sit right here last, this last service, and his wife, dear, dear, precious wife, Michelle, passed away just a, a few weeks ago from cancer. And I've seen this happen again and again and again. And I know that all of us are dying. The reality is, and I, again, I'm not trying to be morbid, here's just the reality. All of us are dying. Uh, from the day we're born, we're on our way to, to, to death. No one owns his next breath. And whether we live a day, a year, or a hundred years is unknown to us. But whatever we do, whatever time, even if we live to be a hundred years old, they're going to say there's going to be a lot more hundred-year-old people in the decades to come. Well, even if we live that long, none of us owns our next breath. Our life, compared to eternity, is still just a blip on the radar screen. And so the reality of our mortality... It's something that has hit me a lot more uh, realistically and a lot harder in the last few months. And again, it's something we all know in our heads. I've never met anybody that doesn't realize that someday they're going to die. The reality of our mortality is something we all get right here. But I'm not sure it's something that we understand at a deeper, at a heart level. And for me, this truth has been marinated a little deeper in my soul. It's something that, as I've been walking through and facing cancer and dealing with this, it's a lot deeper understanding than it's ever been before. And when you get that, as you understand that, it should and ought to then profoundly affect the way you live. The reality of your mortality shouldn't cause you to fear, especially if you know Jesus. But it ought to cause you to live with a lot more focus and purpose, a lot more attention to the precious gift that we have from God. And so the big idea today is this. Life is a precious gift. It is a precious gift from Him. And we all have a God-given purpose. I have taught on this so many times. That I believe every one of you sitting in this room and every one of you watching online, you've got a God-given purpose, something unique for you and you alone to accomplish and do in this world. And it's, if life is precious, and it is, and if God has given you and has a unique plan and purpose for your life, and he does, then I think this is the conclusion. We must live intentionally. We must live intentionally if we want to make our lives count for something bigger. And I might insert better, bigger and better. Than ourselves. This is how we live to leave a, a legacy, leave a living legacy. This is how you live to make your life count. Now, having said that, let me insert something real quick before we go any further. When I talk about living intentionally, I am not talking about necessarily you being world-renowned. I, when I talk about living intentionally, I'm talking about you being the best that God wants you to be and doing what He wants you to do. But by that, I don't necessarily mean that you're going to be famous or smarter than you are or that somehow you'll be something that you're not. That's not my intent. Very few of us will be world-renowned doctors or scientists or politicians. Though being a world-renowned politician right now is not something I think you would probably aspire to. (laughs) To live simply, to, to, to live intentionally means that to the best of your ability and with God's help you choose, and that's a very important word. We're going to talk about deciding to do some things today. You choose to live with focus and on purpose, not wasting the time or the gifts that you have from him. Let me say it again. To live intentionally means that to the best of your ability and with God's help, you need him as well. You do it the best you can and you call on God. With God's help, you choose to live a life with focus and on purpose, not wasting the gifts or the time that you have from him. I have never heard anyone on their deathbed, and I've been there many times with people. I've never heard anyone say, I wish I would have wasted more time. doesn't happen. I've never heard anybody say, if only I played more video games or watched more TV. Never heard that either. I've never heard anybody say, I wish I would have spent more time working and more overtime and and more time away from my family. I have never heard that from anyone in the last hours or last days of their life. I have heard some regrets and they're all, they all have to do with, I wish I would have invested more in my family, more in the kingdom, more in things that really matter. And so you choose, you choose to focus, you choose to live life with purpose. Wow, how do you make a life count? That's what I want to take a look at today. And here's the first thing if you're taking notes. Number one in your outline, decide to invest in what truly matters. How do you live to make your life count? Starts with a decision. Now the blanks here are invest and matters. But probably the most important word in this sentence and the next couple things we're going to take a look at is the word decide. You have to choose. Nobody can choose for you. You decide. Decide to invest in what truly matters. I'm sure you've noticed that we live in a world where we are literally under siege with choices. I mean, you, we, have, we live in a day and age where we have more choices than any person's ever had before us. More choice. You can't drive down Sullivan without being bombarded with choices. There's at least four, I counted them, at least four places to get your caffeine fix, just on like a half mile of Sullivan Boulevard. <laughs> if you don't want tacos at Taco Bell for lunch, then you can go across the street to Five Guys for a great, fat, healthy burger, not so much, to a, for a burger and some fries across the street. Or if you want something a little healthy, you go down the street to a sub place. You are overwhelmed. We are overwhelmed with choices all the time. They're everywhere. Don't even get me started about the mall. You know that malls didn't exist in your grandparents' generation? They didn't. And and yet now we have all of these choices. And I'm not saying that choices are bad. In fact, I think there's some things about choices that can be good. Having choices means that we can choose good over evil. I can choose, perhaps, and should choose, something healthy rather than something not so healthy. I can choose the best rather than just the good. And so there's some good things about choices. Choices gives us the opportunity to scratch our particular itch to satisfy our longing and our desire. And, and yet we are bombarded with choices all the time, everywhere we go. And so the challenge we face, and here's what I think is really the big deal then, the challenge we face is to choose wisely. It's not going to get any easier. There, there's, what, two, three, four, 500 channels of TV now? There'll be 1,000 in 10 years. It's not going to get any easier we're always going to have a multiple uh, opportunities, multitude of, of opportunities for us and choices for us to choose. And the challenge we face is to choose wisely. Instead of sitting down at night when there really isn't anything to watch on TV and spending a half-hour channel surfing through the 200 channels I have, maybe I put that down and I choose to take a walk with my wife and invest in my relationship with her. Maybe instead of buying another toy that I really don't need, another thing that I have to maintain and take care of and worry about and and it's going to you know, be gone in no time. Anyhow, maybe I choose to invest in something eternal. Maybe I choose to invest in the kingdom. Maybe I choose to invest in people and in the lives around me. Maybe I choose to invest spend in, in time, spending time in, in the Word or in time in communication and prayer with God. You know, there are a lot of things that uh, I can do. I, I can challenge you to grow spiritually. I, hopefully I can inspire you to do so. I can admonish you to do some things. But I can't make the choice for you. I hope every one of you has a Bible at home. If you don't, there's Bibles in the back wall. You take one and take it home as our gift to you. I hope you've got a Bible home. But more than that, I hope you read it. I hope you take a little bit of time every day to invest in the greatest book ever written to mankind, God's Word. Whether it's 5 minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes a day, that you choose to invest in the internal. That you choose to invest in something that really matters and not just get lost in the average. The average American watches 6 hours of TV a day. I don't even know how that's possible. What do you get home at five and turn it on and go to bed till eleven? I don't know, but that's that's the average and that's ridiculous. Do you are you investing in things that truly matter? That's the choice. That's the challenge we have. Jesus put it this way, Matthew six nineteen to twenty. He said, "Don't store up treasures here on earth, where moth eat them and rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal." Think about that gift you bought for your kid, you know, last Christmas. Is it even working right now, <laughs> or are they completely? Doss it away, they're bored with it. You know, it's the temporary. Jesus, don't store up your treasures there. Verse 20, instead, store your treasures in heaven where moss and rust cannot destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. What's Jesus saying here? He's saying, you choose. We choose our treasures. And his command, it's not a suggestion, his command here is to choose the eternal, to choose what really matters. Invest in things that last. Invest in people. Invest in the kingdom. Paul, who wrote nearly half the New Testament, the great apostle and missionary Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians 4.18. He said, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Paul says, I, I'm going to fix my attention, my focus, my energies. Not on just what is seen and the temporary. Not on the stuff that's passing, but on the unseen and the eternal. Paul says, I'm going to invest my life in what really matters. If you want your life to count for something, and I hope you do, and I've never met a person who doesn't, if you want your life to count for something and you truly desire to make a difference in your world, in your sphere of influence, then invest in what matters. Do some soul searching. Do a heart check. Maybe it'd be a good idea for you later today or this week to spend some time asking God this question, God, am I faithfully and wisely using everything you've given me to do everything I can for you and for others? God, am I faithfully using everything you've given to me to do everything you want me to do for you and for the people in my world? We choose our treasures. And we can tragically spend our lives on a whole lot of things that really don't matter. Or we can invest in the eternal, in God's kingdom, in people you choose. Here's the second thing. Number two, how to make your life count. Decide to take more risk. Yep, it's the R word. Decide to take more risks to fully live requires getting out of your comfort zone and taking a leap of faith into the unknown, the unfamiliar, and the uncomfortable. Taking a leap, following him, following God, into what will guarantee will be at times the unknown, the unfamiliar, and the uncomfortable. And you know what cracks me up is the first service I had the same experience. I say this, and I, there's about a, a half dozen heads, they're nodding. And they're smiling, like, preach it. I love it when he goes there. I love it when he gets all in our face and tells us to take risk. And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like the guys in the locker room on Friday night before the big football game. And the coach is pumping them out. Oh, You guys can do this. Go out there and hurt somebody. And that's how you feel. There's a few of you. As I, I make that statement, you're like, yeah. A whole lot of the rest of us and, and many of us in this room are like, I hate it when he goes there. <laughs> Why can't he just leave me alone? I've got my life, and i got it all planned out, and it's nice and safe and secure. And please stop talking about faith and risk. And by the way, those two are synonymous. Please don't go there. You're, you're thinking right now of the, uh, the story of the, the rabbit and the turtle. And you, you're quick to point out the moral of the story is that the race does not always go to the swiftest. And I get that, and I understand. Believe me, I understand that we all have different personalities, and not for a moment am I suggesting that we all have to be rabbits. So relax. I get it. That some of us are far more cautious. That we process risk differently than others. That we weigh the costs a little bit differently. That we worry about the unknown. I get that. But here's the truth. And it is the Bible God-given truth. You'll only experience the, adver- the adventure that God wants you to experience when you go. Even the turtle had to go had to get off the finish line. I'm not suggesting for a second that you live a reckless life. I'm not suggesting that. But what I am saying is if you're going to follow God, if you're going to follow Jesus, be a disciple of his, then there is no way of getting around this reality. Jesus himself said, follow me. And by the way, the path is a narrow path, meaning it's a difficult path. It's a hard path. It's not always going to be easy. Jesus said, Come and and you're going to have to give up a lot, but boy, the return, the eternal returns are immeasurable. You can't can't believe what I I will do through you, what I will do in and through you. I'm not encouraging recklessness, but I am encouraging you to go. And there will come moments. In fact, let me just tell you, if you're here today and you're investigating Christianity, if you're thinking about becoming a Christ follower, I want to just tell you, I want to be very honest with you, it is not easy. He will be with you every step along the way. But it is a call to a radical way of life. A radical way of life. And it's a risky way of life. And it will not always be easy. But the promise is he'll be with us every step along the way. You'll come to a point where you'll be compelled to do things that you would never do and to go places that you would never go on your own. Because that's what Jesus, he'll do one of these. say, come, follow me. Again, Paul this is what he said in Acts 20, 22 to 24. And he was, by the way, the history to this is he's leaving the church in Ephesus, a city that he had spent about three years of his life in, planning a church, developing leaders. He loved these people. He's connected deeply to these people. And he's leaving them, and he knows that it's going to be the last time he ever sees them. So put yourself in his shoes. And here's what he said And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. There's the unknown. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. Yoo-hoo! Paul's saying, I don't don't know what's going to happen when I get to Jerusalem, to my destination, but I do know this, along the way, it's not going to be easy. It won't be easy. I'll be facing a lot of uncomfortable circumstances. But I love verse 24. Look at it. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. Let those words sink in deep. I Consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Paul is compelled by God, driven by the Holy Spirit here, into the unknown, the uncomfortable, into the risky. And he had a clear, very clear understanding that it would not be easy. But what was his attitude? Look at verse 24 again. However I consider my life worth nothing to me, my only aim is to finish the race and to complete the task the Lord Jesus has given to me. Paul says, I'm I'm willing to do whatever it takes, and I'm going to give it all up because that's what matters. I'm going to finish what God has called me to finish. You see, until we empty ourselves of self, and that's perhaps one of the biggest struggles we have, But until we empty ourselves of self and we consider our lives nothing in comparison to finding and fulfilling our God-given purpose and assignment, then we're going to be content to stay safe, and it'll be boring. It will not be the adventure of the life God called us to, and we won't fulfill all that he wants us to fulfill. About a year ago, uh, Pastor Matt King and I uh, got this crazy idea to jump out of an airplane, and we... uh, made some calls. Matt did most of the legwork and found out that there's a little airport down in, outside of Boise uh, where you can do a tandem jump. It means you jump with a, an instructor, with a professional. And they take you up to about 12,000 feet. And then you jump out with him on your back, and he's got the parachute. And you free fall for like five, six, seven thousand 7,000 feet. And then they pull the chute, and you come gliding down. Amazing experience. And we really wanted to do it. And and uh, I, I, we got into the, the whole experience, uh, found out all the details, got down there, and got you know our stuff, got our little training. About five minutes of you, this is what you don't want to do, and and just listen to that guy. That was the extent of our training. So we got all that, and we get in the plane, and I'm sitting on the front, you know, uh, next to the pilot as he starts circling and climbing around the airport to take us up to about twelve thousand feet. And I got to tell you, more than once, a couple of times, this thought's going through my mind: I hope this works out. Now, the guy, the guy that, that was, you know, my tandem jump guy, good guy, knew his stuff, and if you ever happened to be watching, hey, man, you did great. But he was a little different. His, his laughter was like, huh, huh, <laughs> huh, huh, and I got to tell you, you know, again, I'm in the plane, I'm thinking, I hope this guy's elevator goes all the way to the top, you know, I'm, <laughs> and I'm thinking, and it comes just crazy thoughts, random thoughts. What if he's suicidal? I don't have a parachute. I got four hooks on my back attached to him. He's got the chute. And I'm thinking, what if he decides to end it all, and I'm with him, and we just this big splat. And so these thoughts are going through my mind, and I showed you the video of my jump. It's just a couple minutes long last year. Some of you didn't see it, but it's worth seeing again if you watched it. Let's watch this, and I'll, I'll tell you why I wanted you to see it. Awesome. Oh my goodness. He's trying to take me out. We are alive. We are strong. Can't watch it go for nothing. Watch until it's gone. We are down. We can't do it. We've got nothing else. To Yeah, it was awesome. It really was amazing. Now some of you are watching that and you're thinking, if that's what i got to do to be a Christ follower, I'm out of here. I am not jumping out of a plane no matter what he says. And that's not the point, okay? That is not my my point. But there are some very similar things to what you just saw that apply to us in terms of our walk with Jesus and our following him. The first one is, God's never going to force you out of the plane. He's never going to abuse your free will. He's, he's going to let you decide. He's going to let you choose. He's going to encourage you. He's going to challenge you. He's going to call you. He's going to invite you, but only you can choose to step out and to do what God wants you to do. He's not going to make you do anything that you don't choose to do. That guy, if I decided I'm not going, I'm staying in the plane. If we'd got to 12,000 feet, I looked out the window, which by the way, is right here, and I'm looking out the window. I'm thinking, nah, it wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have happened. And so I'm telling you, God's not going to force you to do something you don't want to do. Now, my prayer is that you'll choose to follow him, that you'll make that choice. But the first thing you need to know is God's not going to make you go there. The second thing you need to know is when you do step out, when you do take that leap of faith and follow him, it is going to be uh, something that is an adventure of a lifetime. But the, the other good news is he'll be with you every step along the way. As attached to that, as that guy was to me, God the Father will be attached to you. God, the Holy Spirit, will be with you every step along the way. He is trustworthy. You take the step, but you're not going to be on your own. I promise you, you will not be on your own. God will be with you every step along the way in the journey that he's called you to do. So you've got to choose, and then you've got to believe that he's going to be with you. And the last thing you need to know is it won't necessarily be easy. I was pretty excited, but boy, I bet my blood pressure was high and my pulse was racing. It wasn't necessarily easy but it'll be the adventure that God called you to and the the adventure that he wants you to live nonetheless. John 10.10, here's what Jesus said. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. He's talking about Satan. He's talking about the enemy, the devil. And next week, I'm going to talk about, my topic's going to be live aware, and I'm going to talk about the spiritual war for the battle that we're in, that some of us walk around completely ignorant of, not realizing that the enemy wants to take you out. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy everything in your life. And you'll walk with God. The enemy, the thief comes to do that. But by contrast, this is what Jesus said. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The enemy wants to destroy you. I've come to give you life. But not just life, period. Life to overflowing. Life to the max. Life that is full. The way of the kingdom is not a boring way. In fact, I want to suggest to you gently, but I want to suggest to you this morning, That if you're sitting here thinking that your life in the kingdom is pretty boring, then maybe it's because you're not following. Maybe it's because you're not taking the risk that God wants you to take. One of my favorite lines from one of my favorite movies, Braveheart, I've probably seen it a thousand times. I love the movie. And one of my favorite lines in the movie is, every man dies, not every man really lives. Everybody dies. That's a reality. But not everybody really lives. Again, the single greatest certainty is that this life on this planet and these earth suits is going to end someday. But one of the single greatest uncertainties is that wh- whether we'll really live, whether we will really live the life we are meant to live. Again, I want to encourage you to read the book. I want to encourage you to read the Bible. And, you know, if you don't like numbers, then skip numbers. I don't care. But find something. Read the New Testament. Read, and you will find story after story after story of men and women who lived the adventure of following God, of following Christ, of pursuing the kingdom. And you will find that it wasn't easy. At times it was downright hard, incredibly hard. You will find that it cost them a great deal. You will find that it was a narrow path. You will find that there was all sorts of uncomfortable circumstances and situations at times in their pursuit of the kingdom. But you will find as you read the book, as you read these stories, that the men and women who made a difference, who changed their world, Who changed our world were men and women who pursued God with all their heart. Men and women who said, I'm gonna follow Him no matter what the cost. I'm gonna take the risk. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go wherever He calls me to go. How do you live a life that counts? First thing you do is you invest in what matters. The second thing you do is you take the risk you choose to follow. One more thing, number three, decide to write your own eulogy now. And I'm not being morbid when I say that, not at all. But you know, I've officiated quite a few funerals in my 30 years or so of ministry. And one of the things that is always, well, 99% of the time a blessing to me is when I hear the stories of people, family members, and friends who stand up and they share how this person impacted their life or how they were changed or better because of the life of the one who just passed. And I often, I, I stand there getting ready to do my thing, and, and I, sometimes I, I cry, big shock there, I cry, I moved, emotionally moved, I hear these stories, I think, man, I wish I would have known that person even better. Because I hear these stories that are inspiring about how their life made a difference. About 20 years ago, so now, I was asked to do a funeral for a guy that I only met a few times. In fact, uh, he was a CNE and e attender. came to Christmas and Easter, and that's about it, at our church. And his wife came. She was faithful. And, and he passed away on the golf course. Now, some of you think, well, you've got to go. That's a good place to go. But he uh, was like the 16th hole, and uh, he, he just had a massive heart attack. Guy who's extremely wealthy. I was fairly young. He was in his late fifties. I don't remember his exact age, but late fifties. Young, really. I know some of you don't think so, but that's pretty young. I think he's young. <laughs> but uh, he had all the toys, had all the stuff. But on a golf course, it all ended for him. And at his funeral, I, I stood and I listened to person after person share things that I just—I actually broke my heart. One guy stood up and said, "Yeah, man, I tell you." He made the best hot, fire-hot chili I've ever had. Really? That's what you want to be known for? Yeah, he was a really great golfer. Yeah, okay, and well, he died on the golf course. Man, that guy, he could play poker. I lost a lot of money to him, and people laugh. And then one of the guys at the end, and this is one of those times where as a pastor, you just want to crawl underneath something because you're embarrassed, and, and this bonehead stood up and he said, yeah, Bob really loved the women. And it was like this... and some nervous giggles from those who knew it to be true, and I just thought, man, how tragic, how sad, that all the things, I kid you not, everything that was said about this guy was temporary, meaningless garbage. Not one thing. Is is, chili bad? No. Is golf bad? No. But is that all? Is that all you want to be said of you? I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you to write your own eulogy now. I want you to to live in such a way that you live a leave a living legacy. That because you've invested in what matters, because you've taken those leaps of faith, because you've followed God with all your heart, that these are some of the things that might be said of you at your funeral. I've never known a person who loved people more than he or she did. My life was changed and made better because of that person. Man, that would be awesome to hear that. She was an amazing cook, but an even more amazing wife and mother. Or maybe she was a horrible cook, but an amazing mom and wife. Or right, here's one that I hope and praise said of me. His faith in God was an inspiration to many. Those are the things that matter. Those are the things that mean your life counted. And listen to me, you can write your eulogy now. The Apostle Paul, a guy that I keep mentioning here, wrote um, this to a guy named Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter four, verse 68. Listen to his words. He says, "As for me." My life has already been poured out as an offering to God. I have poured it out, baby. I've given it all. The time of my death is near. He knew that it was a matter of time, very near. And he said, verse 7, I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, and I've remained faithful. What a powerful statement. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. This great man of God wrote his own eulogy to this young man named Timothy. He's saying to Tim, Tim, I want you to remember that I was the guy that put it all out on the line. I gave it all up for God. Tim, I want you to remember that as a follower of Jesus, I I had some struggles. There was a fight. It wasn't always easy. And yet I finished well. Paul was writing his own eulogy, and you can do the same. If you want your life to count, if you want it to count, then I want to encourage you to decide now to live in such a way that when you're dead and gone, people in your past will remember you for the things you want to be remembered for. That you will live in such a way. Decide now to live in such a way that it will be easy for your friends and your family to share about things at your, your funeral that are far more important than chili and golf. A living legacy lasts. It lasts. It lasts. And it's what your kids and your grandkids and maybe your great-grandkids will know and remember about you. And that's living a life that matters, a life that counts. The series, I titled it, If I Should Die Before I Wake, because when I started to think about all of this, and I didn't believe I was going to die. I honestly had a lot of peace that I was going to survive, uh, surgery and, and uh, cancer. But I'll be honest with you, there are a few times where I thought, well, what if? What if I don't? And so I wrote a couple of letters and some things I wanted to make sure that I could have available for my family and for the staff if I didn't make it. wasn't worried about death. I, tr- I truly, honestly wasn't. But I started thinking, like I said, a lot more about, well, what if this is it for me? I remember standing down here my last Sunday with you guys before the surgery, and I was bawling because I started thinking, what if this is the last time I get to worship with you? Yeah. It changes you. changes your heart, your perspective. You realize life is precious, and life is short. And I started thinking about that prayer. You know, we taught our kids, if I should pray before I die, and if I, if I should die before I, I, I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And I started thinking about that, and I thought, is that really all I want my kids to pray? If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. I mean, is that it? God, if I happen to not see the sunrise tomorrow morning, I pray at least I make it. And I thought, no, there's so much more that I would want for my children and for myself. I think the prayer ought to be more like this, God. If I should die before I wake, I pray that my life would count for something that matters. I pray that people will see that I empty myself of self for those in the kingdom, for those who are around me. I pray, God, that my life counted for something eternal, something that really matters. Whether you you and I have a few weeks, a few months, or a few decades left in these earth suits is unknown. We don't know. Again, I'm not being morbid, not trying to scare anybody. It's just the reality is, the reality of our mortality is we just don't know. But whatever the case may be, my prayer for you is that you'll live intentionally. That something will change in you. You don't have to have cancer or face surgery to have this change happen here. That something will happen to you that you'll decide today to live more intentionally, to make your life count for something holy and eternal. And so let me read it to you one more time, the statement. To live intentionally simply means that to the best of your ability and with God's help, you choose to live with focus and on purpose, not wasting the time or gifts you have from him. We could go Friday, I'll tell one more story. I'm done. I uh, called my Uncle Don. Years ago, my Uncle Don was here and spoke. Uh, he's been a hero in my life for as long as I can remember, he's the oldest living Bubna. He's the one that survived. He's 83, I think 84. Uh, outlived all of his generation and his family and his brothers. But he's been a pastor for over 50 years, married for like 60 years. I mean, I just—he's a hero to me. And when I got the email that he had cancer and that it was stage four and it was in his liver and that he only had a few months to live, I can't tell you how hard that was. For me. Because I love him. And he's always been there for me all of my life. When my dad was messing up and failed, I could call my uncle and know that I would get wise counsel and would get an encouraging word. When I stood next to my uncle at my dad's funeral and I was brokenhearted over the loss of my own father, my uncle turned to me and he whispered in my ear at the end of that service, your dad's perfect now, Kurt. I will never forget those words. He's perfect. And dealing with the reality of my uncle's mortality has been really hard for me. But what's true of him and what I will say at his funeral someday soon is what the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews 13, 7. He said, remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life. Imitate their faith. Remember your leaders. Consider the outcome of their life, their way of life, and imitate them. I want to be like my uncle who's like Jesus. I want you to be that way as well. Let me pray for you. Bow your heads. Father, I really do pray that you would go where um, only you can go. Go to the very deepest part of us, to our soul, to our, our hearts. And write on our, those hearts today, God, this truth that life is precious, that we have a God-given purpose, and that to get there, we've got to choose, get, make some choices to invest in what matters, make some choices to, to really uh, give our lives to what, what matters in the kingdom, what matters for eternity. That you would help us, Lord, to understand that, that sometimes that's not going to be easy. Sometimes it's going to be risky. <laughs> But that when we follow you, that we have the promise in your presence every step along the way. And I pray, God, for my friends, for my church family, for these people that I love so dearly. I pray, Lord, that you would burn this deep into their hearts and souls today. That, this, that they have a, a revelation right now. So that when they leave this place this today, that they would leave here with a deeper understanding than they've ever had before about what really matters. And that they would see that you've given them this precious gift of life and that they would receive it as a gift and treat it as a gift and invest it back into the kingdom as a gift from you and for you. God, work in their hearts, I pray, in the way that only you can and cause us to leave this place today more aware of the reality of our mortality and yet the great joy we have in serving you than we ever have before. (laughs) I'm gonna ask you to keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. Maybe you're here today and you've not yet begun your life as a Christ follower and you... You're here, and it's not by accident. You realize, man, I need God. I need His grace. I need His help. And you're ready to surrender your life to Him. You're ready to follow Him. I'm going to pray a very simple prayer in just a moment. And my words, they're important. I want you to own these words, I want you to to personalize them, to make them your words. But what's most important right now is that you make a choice. I've talked about decisions and choice all morning. And what you've got to do is make a choice right now. Choose to surrender. Choose to accept God's grace. Choose to accept the gift of forgiveness. Choose to give your life to him and in in exchange, the great exchange to receive his life in return. If you're here today and you know it's time and you want to do that, make these words yours. Father, I have failed you. I have sinned. I have tried life on my own and I know I need you. I know I just can't get there without you. And so right here, this last Sunday of July in 2011, I choose to surrender my all to you. I surrender my past, everything I've done, the good, the bad, the ugly, all of the stupid things. I surrender my past. I surrender my present, all that I have. I surrender my future to you. I yield. I give up, God. And I receive your gift of grace, of forgiveness, of mercy. I receive your life right here, right now, today, and I choose to follow you. Thank you for choosing me. I choose right now to follow you. If that's what you want in your own heart, in your own way, to say, yeah, God, that's me. That's me. That's what I want. And that instant you do, that moment you do, you, the Bible says you go from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. You go from being outside to inside and become a, a, a family of God, a part of his family, a child of his the moment you say yes to him. Lord, for those making that decision right now, show them what that means. Show them what it's going to mean in their life and seal that your work in their hearts right now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Usher's are going to come. We're going to take our offering. If you've got those communication cards, prayer requests, or if uh, you want to drop that in the basket, as it comes by now would be the time to do so. If you're visiting... Please don't feel obligated to give, but if this is your church family, I encourage you. Give because you love the Lord and you want to support what God's doing around here. Let's give as we worship with this great song. that talks about giving it all up for Him. Let's worship. Giving it all to go your way. That's what it's all about if you want to make your life count, if you want to invest in the kingdom. My call, my challenge, my encouragement to you is to go live this week that way. A couple things before you go. First, if you began your life today as a Christ follower and you said yes to Jesus, or maybe you've been a prodigal son or daughter and you came home today, tell somebody. Tell them what God's done in your heart today. It'll bless them and, and it'll seal that work that God's done in you. And back on the tables as you walk out the doors, as a package for new Christians. It's got a Bible some material for you to get started in your walk with Jesus. We want to walk with you. We want to help you take the next step. Baptism will be one of those things in a few weeks. And so please let us walk with you through this next stage of your life, this next journey. Convenience on both sides of the room. If you'd like communion this morning, prayer to me down, down front if you'd like prayer. And again, go walk this, this week making your life count for something eternal. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming.